Hi and welcome. This is a brief update since we've just had some exciting breaking news in Beetledom. The legendary lost base, Paul McCartney's 1961 Hofner, has been found. The news broke last night, 15th of February 2024, on Hofner's the website. Initially, I could see from a number of social media posts that there was some scepticism about whether this was fake news or perhaps even a fake base. But from what I've been reading today, there are a number of unique key aspects of Paul's base that would make it all but impossible to replicate. For those of you not familiar with the story, this Hofner base is a vital part of Beatles history. The first bass guitar purchased by Paul McCartney at the Steinway shop in Hamburg, having been nominated by his bandmates to take over bass duties from erstwhile member Stuart Sutcliffe. Paul had struggled on initially with his Rossetti Solid 7 guitar, restrung with three piano strings. When that eventually snapped under the strain of the increased string tension, Paul borrowed Sutcliffe's own Hofner 500-5 President bass. He played this flipped over to be played left-handed, but still strung right-handed. He visited Steinway's initially looking for an American bass like a Fender, but was drawn to the Hofner 500-1 violin-shaped bass in the window initially because it was symmetrical, meaning he could comfortably play it upside down. The salesman at Steinway could do even better than that, and he ordered Paul a brand new left-handed model. It's believed that this would have been the very first left-handed violin bass put into production. It's this bass that was stolen later on and has been missing for over 50 years. By the time of its theft, the bass looked very different to how it appeared in that Hamburg shop. Nick Wass is a former Hofner PR man and current Hofner historian and has done a great deal to help validate the authenticity of the newly discovered bass. He describes how the bass would have looked at the time it was stolen. He's less than complimentary about the quality of the workmanship applied to the bass when it was taken to be refurbished by Burns Guitars in 1964. He describes it being painted with a polyurethane finish so thick you could swim in it. He also describes replacement tuners being the type used on a Stratocaster-like guitar, i.e. six on one side, all turning the same way. The Hofner, of course, has only two tuners on two sides, so the bottom two would wind in the wrong direction. Wass wonders incredulously why the people at Burns Guitars didn't pop round to Selma's Music, the UK distributor of Hofner, and simply buy replacement parts for the bass. Instead, it seemed Burns Guitars chose to fabricate a wooden pickup surround to house the two pickups. This too was sloppily constructed, not following the contour of the bass body, and again slathered in thick paint. Ironically, it's this amateurish repair job that makes the bass so easy to identify now. Another key feature being an overzealous polishing job on the pickup covers, which has all but removed all the nickel plating from one of them. The story of how this bass was stolen and subsequently found is an interesting one. Wass had started thelostbass.com in 2018, but gained very little information, only a few contacts and a smattering of coverage in German newspapers. Five years later, journalists Scott and Naomi Jones contacted Wass interested in the story. Naomi Jones is a well-respected and highly capable researcher. 
with Scott able to get wider media coverage and Naomi able to dig up information in archives not generally available to the public, things moved along rapidly. The first myth that was busted by the team was where exactly had the base been stolen. It was believed for many years to have disappeared during the Get Back sessions. In fact, I started this podcast believing just that. Following an email from Ian Holm, a former roadie for Wings, it became clear that this wasn't the case. The base had actually been stolen in 1972, along with some other equipment. Research was able to pinpoint a date, October the 10th, and Ian was able to pinpoint the location where it had happened. The story goes that Ian, along with fellow roadie Trevor Jones, were moving equipment for the band in a three-ton truck. As it was late, they parked it near to Trevor's house. The following morning, they found the truck broken into and two AC-30 amplifiers plus Paul's bass had been stolen. There was even a tiny bit of coverage about the incident in the press at the time. Ian's email very neatly lined up with another sent to WAS six months earlier. That email stated the equipment was taken from the van into a house and later sold at a pub. The guy who sent the email claimed to be an ambulance driver who had been told the story by a patient. Something didn't quite ring true. Naomi's research put the ambulance driver as an occupant of the house that the goods were shipped to at the time of the theft. It turns out that the driver's father was a local criminal and although he hadn't stolen the base, he'd moved it on to a local pub for storage, eventually selling it to the landlord. Reportedly, the landlord gave the base to his son who restrung the base badly and played it for a while. This son is thought to have been killed tragically in a car rally accident while at university. The base then moved to the second son of the landlord who simply put it in his attic, presumably not wanting to part with it in memory of his brother. At this point it's quite likely that none of the people who handled the base realised who it belonged to. The second son died tragically during the Covid pandemic, but he was survived by a wife and son. Completely separate from Wassie's investigation, the wife saw a news report about the missing base, realised that she may have it, and went directly to Paul's house in Cavendish Avenue, London, with some pictures of it. Paul sent a team to recover the base and phoned Wass directly, excited as a schoolboy. Wass was dispatched to England to authenticate the base, which he was able to do by identifying the various modifications mentioned earlier. Most notably, he discovered that another assumption had been made about this base. All violin bases in 1961 had a flat rather than contoured back. It was always assumed that Paul's model would be the same, and all of Hofner's signature reissues of the base sport this flat back. However, Paul's base features an arched back design present on later models. So it appears that in order to fulfil the unusual left-handed order in 1961, the Hofner factory had used a prototype body shape. Maybe it was just a handy spare body part that hadn't been routed. We'll never know. Hopefully we'll get to see this base back in the hands of its owner on stage very soon. Despite the rigours of 50 years in an attic subject to the extremes of the British climate, it looks in surprisingly good condition. The neck needs fixing and the electronics will need work, but all of that is fixable and Paul says he just wants to be able to play it again. So let's hope we get to see it very soon. Until next time.